Hello, Crossroads family and guests. We are so glad that you tuned into our podcast today. We want to let you know about our website, wherelifechanges.com. There you can find more about church events, ministries, and giving options. Check out Pastor Lee's blog at pastorlee.net. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at crcc underscore social. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash wherelifechanges. We really hope that the message today would inspire and encourage you to worship passionately, serve others, and share truth. Now let's jump into the message. This, uh, this morning, like I said, Pastor Lee is gone. He'll be back next week. Um, I'm going to be preaching to you on Father's Day, which I'm excited about. And it's funny the way it worked out because I actually preached on Mother's Day too. And if I was a better preacher, I would have thought ahead of time and figured out how to tie these two things together. But I didn't. So you're going to get this instead. And it's from Scripture, so it's got to be good, right? So we'll see. Um, as we look, it, before I dive into it, some of this may be a little uncomfortable. A lot of times on Mother's Day and Father's Day, we hear kind of um, plushy things, exciting things. Um, I'm going to talk about some issues. And so they may be a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. Uh, that's part of growth, right? So as we look at our, our society as a whole, we look at movies, TVs, books, etc., so on, right? What kind of father is depicted to us? I'll let you think about it for a second. It's not a good one. More times than not, it's not a good one, right? What's depicted to us is an absent father, right? Whether it's physically or if he's physically there, then maybe mentally or emotionally, he is absent. He is checked out. He's gone. Or if he's checked in, it isn't always good news, right? And so let's look at reality. And too often, we hear the same story from our friends, our family, and sometimes ourselves. Right? Father's Day is not a super happy time for a lot of people, right? And if you had a, a good father that was in the home, loved you, consider yourself blessed because you're one of the few, statistically, right? And before I, I dive into this, I'm not saying men are the only problem, okay? So before you check out and say, well, he's saying it's all my fault, I'm not, Okay? And in all reality, I may be preaching to the choir a little bit today. But there's a lot of women that play their side in this as well. Right? And so today, I'm going to be talking about men because it's Father's Day. Doesn't mean that the women don't need to hear this. These are biblical principles that apply to everybody. But it's Father's Day, so we're going to talk to fathers and men. Okay? And as we dive into it, if you don't have a good example of what it looked like to be a good man, a good husband, a good dad, you can break those chains. You have a father that is perfect, that left an example for you to follow. Right? Deuteronomy 5, verse 9 through 10. You should not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we've heard this verse quite a bit. Pastor Lee talks about it a lot, um, but we're going to kind of tear it apart a little bit today. Right here at the very beginning, it says, you should not bow down to, uh, to serve them. Or, sorry, you should not bow down to them or serve them. Serve who? Well, if we back up a little bit, because normally we don't read the whole scripture, and maybe today I should have, but I'm just going to tell you what it says in a nutshell. He's talking about idols. He's talking about idols, and he says, don't bow to them and don't serve them. And you may be thinking, Zach, I don't have a golden cow at home, so I'm good. I'm good to go, no worries, right? But often we don't understand the principle of what an idol is, and when we do, then we realize a lot of us have tons of little idols in our lives. See, an idol is when your priorities have been flipped, right? When whatever's going on becomes more important than God and God's people, you found an idol, Right? And not all, always is it something bad. The enemy's smart. He doesn't come to you and per, you know, propose the worst idol possible. He comes to you with things that he knows you may go for. Right? It, it's something like going after more money because you need to provide more food and new clothes for your kids. That sounds like a good thing, right? And it is a good thing. Would you agree? You could shake your head with me, right? It's a good thing. We don't want our kids going to school without clothes. It's not going to go well, right? I don't suggest you try it. Your kid may have to find a new school pretty quick, right? We, we need those things. And in fact, God's called us to provide for our children and the people in our households. He's called us uh, and given us the ability Ability to produce wealth. So where does it become an idol? It becomes an idol when that money or that deal or that promotion or whatever it may be starts to affect the relationships at home, starts to affect your relationship with God and your relationships with your coworkers and your friends. Essentially, everybody around you. Right? How many of us have sent something or said something and we're, we're rude in the sake, in the name of business? I don't have time for pleasantries. I don't have time to tell you how good you're doing. Just do what I told you and do it now because there's money on the line. And you put the mean period at the end of the email. Right? And, and we, we rationalize these things for what we think is a holy purpose. Providing for our family. But I promise you, promise you, promise you, promise you that there is not a dollar amount, there's not a job, there's not an opportunity, not a promotion, so on and so forth, that is worth your relationships. God is a relational God. He has called you to love the people around you, and that will always come first. But you see how easy it can get flipped, and all of a sudden you found yourself an idol. And it happens in so many areas of our life. So many areas of our life. 
right? We can even put our spouses and our children on pedestals to where they become idols, where we're doing what they want all the time and not making sure that God is first. Boom, priorities flipped, found yourself an idol. And as you analyze your life, you start to realize that this is a slippery slope and it's, and it's in a lot of places. We start realizing that we have a lot of many gods all over our life. But we would never say it out loud because we know that that's wrong and we don't even understand that we're doing it a lot of times. And as I go on today, and again, I'm talking to men, and these things apply to women. And actually, in today's society, there's a lot of women making more money than the man, right? And that's great. That's good. No one's here to complain about that. Right? You find the balance that works within your house. And so women can fall into this, but there's something kind of special about it for men. When you look at Genesis 3, when God is telling them what the, the punishments will be for the actions that happened in the garden, right? And, and I don't even really like punishment as a word, right? If I have an umbrella and it's raining and I walk outside that umbrella, I'm going to get wet, right? And so God's just telling them, this is what happens. You, you walk outside the umbrella, Right? And Adam's curses that are, that are given are all work-driven. He's going to toil the ground. He's going to deal with the sweat of his brow. He's going to deal with the thorns and the thistles and the weeds that were not there before, but there are there, they are there now. Right? And so we have to guard ourselves. We have to put up boundaries around us and our families. I promise you, if you do the things of God... Everything else will fall into place. Second Corinthians tells us that he will give us everything that we need. Not everything I want, everything I need. And I promise you, God knows what you need a lot more than you do. And you move on, he says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the Father on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. What's an iniquity? Iniquity is a sin I did not choose. It is a sin of my environment, of my family, of my life that gets passed down, right? If I have two angry parents, I have a very high possibility that I'm going to be an angry person, right? Or possibly the opposite. You, you, you react opposite of what happened in your life. You had a father that was a drunk, never held a job, you were poor, you didn't have food on the table, and you watched your mom struggle and struggle and struggle to try to provide. And so when you get older, you say, I will not be anything like that, and I will show my family that I love them. And I become a workaholic. Right? And so they're not things that we necessarily choose. They're things that are happening and manipulating the way we see the world, and then we fall into them. Right? And so he says that he's going to visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Hate me seems pretty harsh. Right? Most of us in here would not openly say, I hate God. Maybe in a, a, a bad moment of your life, you may have said it. But when you're sitting here on a normal day, you probably wouldn't choose to say, I hate God. Right? But we learn from Jesus later in John 10, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. 
So what we learn from this is what he's saying is when you do the things that are not of God, you step out of God's will, you don't have to say it. What your actions are saying is, I don't love you as I turn my back. And we don't always understand. We don't always see it. Right? Because we're probably, a lot of times, in the midst of that, we're still saying, but God, I love you. God, I love you. Right? A dad is angry, and he hits his daughter. He comes to the room later, he says, but I love you. The next day, she gets mad, he hits his daughter. He comes to the room, and he says, but I love you. He's not saying, I hate you. He's with his words. He's saying, I love you. But what is his actions doing? They're saying, I don't really care for you much. Now, unfortunately, a young girl or a young boy doesn't have the rationale to say, well, my dad just doesn't know how to love well. And so then we grow up saying, well, that's how love is, right? That's a tangent of its own, right? And so we have this imbalance, As we see on the bad side, he says, he'll visit the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. But on the good side, he says, for those that love me, he'll visit thousands of generations. So the numbers don't add up. It's actually pretty lopsided, right? And so we would say, well, if there's people loving God, a.k.a. keeping his commands, then it it should have flipped. The world should look a little different. Our society should look a little different. But it doesn't. So what does that tell us? We've missed the mark. Not a surprise to God. He knew it. And he's still there. He's still chasing. He's still good. He's still merciful. But we've missed the mark. And consequently, is affecting our families and our friends, our coworkers, and so on and so forth. And we arrived to where we are today. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we have, as a society, evolved quite a bit. We follow God pretty well. Some of you may be saying, I don't agree with that. But if you read through Genesis and you see the sin that was going on in Genesis, you may agree with me. The stuff going on in Genesis is far worse than anything we've ever seen today. So we may be headed that direction, but we ain't there yet, right? And so what we see is there's not enough holiness. So why am I talking about this on Father's Day, right? This seems like a a much larger problem than just a dad, right? This seems like a societal issue that's so much larger than what I can do anything about. And to that, I would agree. It's so much bigger than a dad, right? But... Because I can't change society, and you can't change society. But I can change myself. I can affect myself. I have control over what I do and what I subscribe to. And then that, therefore, affects my house and my friends and my workplaces. So we're going to look at the responsibility that is given to men. And before half the room tunes me out, okay, hang on to the end. I I saved something for the end um, because I think it's probably the most important, and normally people only remember like the last three minutes of this. So I want you to take that home. 
Okay. You can watch it on Facebook later or watch the podcast or listen to the podcast. You don't watch podcasts. Right? I'm not saying that men are greater than women. I, in fact, believe they're exactly equal and play an equal role in everything that is on this earth. God made us in his image. And so, therefore, we need each other to create a better image of what God really looks like and show it to the world. Okay? So, that's my disclaimer before I don't jump into this. Ephesians 5, 22 verse, uh, through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Again, another disclaimer. You read a little farther in Ephesians. He says, husbands submit to your wives. And he flips it. He keeps the, the scales even. Okay. And so here we see that God establishes a, a responsibility and, and gives, we, we see that men are the head of the household. Which, if we look at society like I was talking about, then we have a problem. Right? But he doesn't give the responsibility without anything. He attaches it to an example. He says, as Christ is the head of the church. So then that means that I don't get to be the head the way I want to be the head. I can't sit in my tower and bark down orders and expect everything to work. I can't be dogmatic. It ain't working like that. There's an example that I have to follow. And so today, there, there's so many things of Christ, right? We study them the rest of our life, and we're going to continue to learn. And this could be a massive sermon series, but we don't have time for that. So today, we're going to look at three things. And if you've been through the lay ministry track, which is the fourth step of our, our growth track, um, this is my plug, you should join it. But if you've been through it, this may sound a little familiar. When you look at all the gods of the world, across all religions, you may find one or possibly even two of these characteristics. But you will not, and I promise you, you will not find all three in one place. There's only one God that is our God that has all three of these in one place. Jeremiah 10, verse 6, he says, No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. So those three things are he is holy, he is imminent, and he is love. So this is our standard for us to follow. Holiness, imminent, love. 1 Peter 1 15 through 16 says, but as he called you, uh, but he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you should be holy for I am holy. Matthew 5, 48, we see, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. This is the standard that is set before us. And in in this one, there's not a gender assigned. Just so you, you pick up on it. This is something for all of us, Right? But again, it's Father's Day, so I'm talking to men, okay? 
And so he has called us to be holy, which is what tips the scales, right? He says, for those that love me and keep my commands, Jesus tells me, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So when I am holy, that means I am righteous, doing the things of God, and therefore working to tip the scale. It is what's good for me, it is what's good for my family, it is what's good for my friends and my workplace, and so on. I'll use all those examples because that pretty much covers every area of your life. Because every person in your life is important. Imminent. Imminent in, a, in its simplest form of the word just means to be near, to draw close. In Acts 17, verse 27 through 28, It says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. This is good news. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. When you find this this concept of imminent, of being close, being drawn near, it is normally in these moments in Scripture that are just God trying to sweep us off our feet. As he is being affectionate, drawing us in, just saying, I want to hold you. I want to protect you. I want to, let, I want to supply a way for you to let go of all your anger. I want to take all your anxiety away, all your fear away, and I just want to hide you in my strong tower. And so as men, husbands, and fathers, we are to be near and affectionate towards our families. And you see, I said men, husbands, and fathers, because if you're waiting to try to be this, once you become a husband, you're behind the curve. Right? These are things that we are called to work on our entire life. And for wives, this is not a list for you to hold against and tell them how they are falling short. This is a list for you to know this is how I should be praying for my husband. Same for men. The list for you to know how to pray for your wife. For women that maybe are not married, but think that that is coming in the future, that is a goal in their life, then these are things that you should be looking for in your partner to come. Same for men. Things you should be looking for as it comes. Holiness and imminence. Right? And we... We are not called to be, to be these stone-cold, absent-minded men that sit there not knowing how to communicate their love, how to communicate their feelings, how to communicate that they are proud for the people in their family. We are called to be affectionate men that let our families know that we love everything about them and we are here for them. We are here to encourage them and equip them and help them any way we can. But too often with the image depicted. And I've heard it too many times from too many people. I don't know if I ever heard my dad say, I love you. I don't know if I ever heard my dad say, I'm proud of you. That is not good. It is not the definition of a man. And it's not biblical. God is our example. Jesus is our example of what it is. And he draws near He loves and he desires you. 
As husbands, you should love and desire your families. Right? Jokes about emotion and affection start really early. As boys find girlfriends, and everyone makes jokes about how much they'll do so that the girl will like him. And how dumb he looks doing it. And then the locker room goes wild as they make fun of him. Make the jokes. Poke fun. But they don't stop in childhood. They happen in your family gathering. They happen in your workplaces. As we make jokes about how our kids are the reason we can't go do the things we want to do. As we joke about how our wives are dragging us to the floor, how we're so upset and we can't be happy, we can't be the men we want to be because our wives are dragging us down. You've probably heard it. You may have been part of it. But I'm telling you today, that is not biblical. That is not okay. And I'm not saying you can't have fun and joke around, but joking at the expense of your wife and your family is not okay. There's no wiggle room on that one. I was part of a group of guys. They were all married. And there was an individual that was maybe a little less mature, a little less um, formed spiritually. And he brought in his misogynistic, dogmatic jokes about his wife, how she needed to be in the kitchen, how she needed to leave him alone and let him do his thing because he's a man and knows what to do. And I was proud at the reaction of the rest of the men in the group. As they just let it roll off their back, and in fact, sometimes they didn't even respond to it. They acted as if it had never been said. As the joke slowly started to go away, one day they emerged again. Possibly it was a rough day for them. And it was acknowledged, it's not funny. Not okay. We're called to be people that love deeply and intimately in every area of our life. And and most importantly, within our families. And so society tells us that a man is someone that comes home, sits in the recliner, and is emotionally detached. And that makes you manly. It's not true. It's not manly at all. It's not biblical. And again, I may be preaching to the choir, but you probably know somebody. And so you can say something. Right? You can start speaking in the truth into the life of the people around you. You don't have to be part of the conversations. Maybe you don't feel comfortable enough to say something, maybe at work. You don't have a good enough relationship with these people. Then just walk away. You don't have to be part of the conversation. Don't condone it. When you develop the relationship, because you're a Christian and should be developing these relationships, because you love God's people, then there'll be a day for you to say something. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's 1 Peter 3.7. 
He's saying respect and honor and see your wife. She is an heir just like you. There is nothing different. You are not better because you can maybe lift a little more weight. Right? There is nothing better. And and he's saying here, if you don't do this, he goes as far to say, if you don't do this, if you don't honor and love and respect, it could go as far as your prayers could be hindered. That is super, super intense, right? And the reality is, is anytime we start walking out of the, the will of God, our, our relationship with God is strained, right? Doesn't mean he doesn't hear us, but our relationship is strained. And so Peter's trying to put some importance on this statement. It is not an option. You are not to see her less than. Paul tells us that in Christ Jesus, there's no master, nor slave, no rich, no poor, no male, no female, as he continues on. He's saying we are all on the same playing field. Third, love. We got holy, imminent, now love. In 1 John 4.16, Jaden can put up that scripture so you can read the whole thing. But God is love. Right there in the middle. God is love. Nice and simple, right there, straightforward. And I said, I, I grabbed these, these three principles from the lay ministry track, and there was a paragraph in there that I just thought was really good. And so I copied it and pasted it. It was, it was written by Pastor Lee, so there's no copywriting issues here. We're good to go. Okay, it says, our God is love. Everything about him is love. Love means to always work for what is best for those you love. Love means to always work for what is best for those you love. God is working all things together for our good. Romans 8.28 He does not withhold his love because of our sin. He never stops loving. It endures forever. This is quoting Psalm 136.1 Loving is doing what is good for everyone around you. It is putting yourself last so that everyone else can go first. And, but I really like the second part. He says, he does not withhold his love because of our sin. He never stops loving. It endures forever. That's good news for me and you. But how does that apply in our, in our context here? Just because your family doesn't do what you want them to do, doesn't mean you cut it off. It doesn't mean that you cut off the love and stop loving and stop putting them first. You continue to do it in the midst of it. That's when it's really love, right? Jesus says anyone can love their neighbor. Hey, how about you try loving your enemy, right? I'm not saying your spouses are your enemies. Just putting it in context here. Anyone can do it when everyone's listening to everything you got to say. But when they're not, what are you going to do? He never stops loving, and it endures forever. It's good news. So, today, as we get through this, we understand we are going to be holy. We are going to do the things God has called us to do, because we are in the business of trying to flip the scale, of trying to bring heaven down. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
We're in the business of trying to bring heaven down, experiencing the blessings and the love of God today. We're not waiting for the day that we die. We're Christians that are in the business of pulling it down and experiencing it today because that's what he wants for us. And so we're going to be holy. We're going to do the things he's called us to do because it's not an option. We don't get to say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I don't want to listen to all the other stuff he's got for me. doesn't make sense. Like pulling up to Whataburger and being like, I really want a really good burger, but I, I don't want to pay for it. Right? See, he extends his love freely. And out of the love, John 10, 10, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And so we will be holy and we will do these things. We will be imminent. We will be affectionate, loving people, wrapping our arms around our loved ones, our families, and our workplaces, letting them know exactly how we feel, what we think of them, and that we are rooting for them. For far too long in my life, if I'm just being honest, I thought for me to succeed, somebody else had to fail. And I was pretty apparent in the way that I lived that that was true in my life. I love sports, and so for me to be the best athlete, that meant that you had to trip and fall or have the worst day of your career. It wasn't until I got much older that I realized we can both compete and have a grand old time, and possibly I could win, and that's awesome, but possibly I could lose, and that's great for you, right? And so we are going to be affectionate people rooting for the people around us. We're not going to give into the archetype that the society gives us of this emotionally cut off, absent men, right? We're going to refuse to do that. We're not going to be the Archie Bunkers and the Al Bundys. We're going to progress past that. That's not a good example of a man. It's not a biblical one. But we've been lulled to sleep by the enemy saying, well, this is what manhood looks like. And I promise that if we do this, not that it's going to be easy by any means whatsoever. Because you're going to need community. You're going to need open communication. You need to find a group of men that are trying to do the same thing as you so that you can progress together. And when you're struggling, they can pick you up. And when they're struggling, you can pick them up. You're going to need to be open with your uh, spouse or partner or fiance or wherever you're going, whatever stage you are in the process, you need to be open saying, this is where I'm struggling in this and I need your help. You're going to sit in the Word, sit in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ because you can't do this on your own. And so you need the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out so that you can possibly try to obtain this. So you need to surround yourself with community. Society will tell you as men and women, we've all been told it, you got it. You don't need nobody. Just keep on going. You can do anything. The only thing that's true about that is the last part. If you have community, if you have God, everything about the Bible is about God and community. And we often either want to 
include the community and forget the God, or we want to include the God and forget the community. They come hand in hand. But I promise you, if we could do these three things, we will begin to change our families, our friends, our workplaces. Not quickly. Nothing God calls us to is a quick fix. There's no uh, magic tape that you can slap on a leaking boat on a commercial. It's a long process. It requires discipline and strength that, again, you don't have. So you need the Holy Spirit. Why don't you all stand with me today? The last thing I want to talk about, remember this is the the important one, the one thing you can remember if you forget everything else, is Jesus is our example. Right, and so what does it mean to be the head? Because Jesus was the head. So how did he lead? This one thing kind of wraps up all of his leadership into one thought. And that's that he led from underneath. He led from underneath with grace, love, and truth. He didn't sit in a tower being dogmatic, saying it's my way or the highway. Do it or get out. He led from underneath. He didn't tell the disciples, now go wash everyone's feet. He got on his hands and knees and he washed their feet. He led from underneath. Paul tells us that Jesus was the same as God, yet he did not uh, consider it something to be bragged about, but that he humbled himself and humbled himself even unto death. And so we don't carry this responsibility of the head as something to brag about, something to lord over people, something to rub in people's faces. But it's something that should humble us to our knees, putting us in the trenches, putting literally every single body, everybody else in our life in front of us, putting our own agendas, our own plans aside, working for the good of everybody else around us. And see, when we get in the trenches, this is something that is for everybody. When we're in the trenches, I don't have to worry about obtaining my value and taking it. I can get in the trenches and love and trust that Philip is going to get in the trenches and love, and I'm going to get value from Philip, and he's going to get value from me. Society will say, you need to demand respect from your wife. Keep her in line. But if I'm in the trenches, serving her, putting her first, bringing that into my household, trusting that eventually, if not already, she's in the trenches doing the same, I will get all the love and respect I possibly need. See, when you live like Christ, you don't have to take. (laughs) You just serve and serve 
serve, get in the mud, get dirty, and wash some feet. And things will begin to change. As I raise a son and a daughter with these values, and they go out and they take those values into their homes, and so on to their kids, into their homes, and it becomes exponential as things begin to change. I don't know everybody in here. And so maybe this is something you've been working on, something you've known. Great. Help somebody else that you know to come along the the bandwagon with you. If this is something that you struggle with, prayed all this morning that you wouldn't take offense to it. That you wouldn't let it harden your heart. That you would accept it. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict and change you. As I said at the beginning, because we can break chains. We're not subject to what happened before. Jesus brings a new mercy and a new grace every day. Y'all pray with me this morning. God, I come to you this morning praying that we would be a humble people. That we would be humble fathers willing to go in the trenches for our family whether they are doing what we want or not. Putting them first. I pray that we would be eminent people drawing near to the ones that we love making it clear our love for them and our desire for them. And God, I pray that we would be a people in the business of tipping the scale as we begin to love you by following your commands. We just pray that this would be something that is infectious within our households, whether it starts with the man or with the woman or with the children. God, we don't care. We just pray that your Holy Spirit gets a hold of our household. But God, we see in our churches the scales are tipped and the women are often fighting alone to try to bring Jesus into their family. We pray that that scale would begin to even out, that the men would step up, those in this room, those out of this room, Lord, that they would begin to do this, that we would take the responsibility of bringing Jesus into our household back on our shoulders, that we would teach our kids, that we would develop relationships with you ourselves so that we could teach our kids. We don't put the responsibility on anybody else. So equip us teach us that we may teach the next generation and God we ask for all of this knowing that we can't obtain it by ourselves and so we just invite your Holy Spirit in we remove our walls we remove our offenses we allow you to come in 
and tell us who we will be and change us with the desire for you. Hey, I just wanted to say thank you for your time and listening today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share us with your friends. Also, remember to follow us on social media. If you ever find yourself in the area, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning at 1040 a.m. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.